This is the place to go for anime, manga, comics, video games, all pop culture information. This is the place that you need to be. This program is brought to you by Blackened Studios Entertainment Division. Remember, it's Blackened. This is Haley Cummings, and when I want to listen to something funny and down-to-earth, I tune into the hardest-working podcast out there. My favorite and Oklahoma's favorite podcast, The Elijah Bailey Show. Thanks for downloading The Elijah Bailey Show from iTunes or BlackStudios.com, and here's a word from some of the folks that make it possible for you to hear this show for free every Thursday. Providing bankruptcy services throughout the state of Oklahoma, Bowler & Associates is a bankruptcy law firm based in Midwest City, Oklahoma. Their mission is to relieve you from threat of debt collectors, garnishments, repossessions, tax levies, foreclosures, and much more. Backed by more than 20 years of experience in the legal field, they excel in finding the quickest, most effective, and most affordable solution to all your legal and financial troubles. You can find them at Bowler Law on Facebook, and also visit the website at www.bowlerlawfirm.com. Reach them at 405-733-3000. You can also email them at bankruptcy at bowlerandassociates.com. Seven, it's golden eye. That, that shit gets you going. Let's go ahead and turn this music down just a bit. Um, we're doing things just a little bit different here on the Elijah Bailey Show. This is the 245th episode. Thank you guys for joining me here live on Facebook Gaming or Twitch.tv forward slash Elijah underscore 5000. For those of you that are not watching, you're probably listening to the audio version, which if you guys miss an episode that we re- I typically record on Sunday, today is Tuesday. It's been a crazy week. I'll get into that. But if you miss a live stream, then just make sure to go to Apple Podcasts, Podbeam, Pandora, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever the fuck you listen to podcasts and type in The Elijah Bailey Show and you'll get the latest episode right there. Now, the Bucky and I have done something and there's a new there's something new coming for you guys. I'll tell you guys where to find it. Uh, But we did collab and get back together and we do have something else that we're getting ready to do. So be prepared for that. But today is the 245th episode. Uh, last week, I did the uh, anime of the year. This week is video games of the year, but I modified it. And Wonder Woman 1984 came out. So let's go ahead and give a review about that because there, there's a mixed review. And it doesn't seem like there's a mixed review, but there is. Let's go ahead and uh, cut through T-Pain and the Pizzle Pack. Thank you. Uh, we might revisit some music a little bit later once we get into some things. But let's go ahead and uh, dive into the show. Now, if you're new to the show, there's a couple segments that we do each and every episode. Now, depending on what type of show it is, the first uh, week of the month we do comics. Second week of the month is anime. Third week of the month is video games. Fourth week is the Bailey Bugle. And if there's a fifth week, it's a toss up in the air. Since we've been doing the end of the year reviews and things like that, everything has changed. So today... <laughs> we have um, Tayose, the black character that we're celebrating. We are going to go through my games of the year. I'm going to give you some video game news and the releases. This is by the time this episode comes out, we will be in the new year. Um, 
well, it'll be one day away. So I'll give you the NBA or the video game releases for December, and I'm going to give you the, the last time that you can read or watch the anime or manga of the month, which doesn't make sense. You can read or watch it past uh, this month, but next episode you're going to get some new shit. And I have found some very, very tasty anime and manga for you guys that I think will hold you over. Some of them are new series, so they're limited episodes. So once you watch, you know, eight, nine, ten episodes, however many they're at, you're done or you just wait for the next deal. It's it's a small continuation, weekly episodic. Uh, the manga, though, are going to be completed tiles that you can go and read completely through. And I have one that's really, really short um, that I read that I think you guys will enjoy. Uh, that being said, let's go ahead and dive into the show and let's start with December video game releases so I want to try something different here and you know we do dabble and do that but it is going to take just a minute because I do need to hear just for a second but we're going to turn on some background music Uh, I like that fucking uh, Rickroll but we're going to do this one oh no we gotta go back why does it always do that okay Let's see if we can hear it as we pull up the December video game releases. That is not bad. Let's check that. This is why I need a uh, an intern. This shit is so far behind. Uh, I think this is pretty good. Yeah, there you go. You can hear that. It's like a little upbeat. Boom, boom, boo, doo, 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 doo. Okay, so let's get into the shit. Uh, thank you guys for joining. But the December releases, these, this, all this shit is already released. Once we get to, oh shit, there's nothing coming out uh, that hasn't that already hasn't been out. So all these games are out. Look for the titles, see what systems are on, because there's a shit ton of games. Um, but December 1st, we had Kronos Before the Ashes, Empire of Sin, uh, Football Manager 2021, uh, Frostpoint VR, Pr- uh, Proving Grounds, Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six Siege, Twin Mirrors, and Worms Rumble. Uh, December 2nd, we had Sam and Max Save the World Remastered, uh, Sheeran the Wanderer, The Tower of the Fortunate, and The Dice of Fate, and State of Decay 2. December 3rd, we had Absolute Drift, uh, Atelier. I think it's hard to read. Riza 2, uh, Lost Legends, and I uh, see I feel fucking old now. I did have my birthday, so now I'm squinting and shit. God damn it. Um, let's see. Haven, Immortals, Phoenix Rising, which I have not downloaded. That shit looks phenomenal. I'm going to get on that. Uh, Morbid, The Seven Acolytes, uh, Fogs, Startup Panic, uh, Takeo no Tatsuji, Rhythmic Adventure Pack, and Wildfire. December 4th, we had Dark's Complete Edition, or DAQS, um, Dragon Quest, The Definitive Edition, Commandos 2, HD Remastered, FIFA 21, Fire Emblem, Shadow Dragon, and The Blade of Light, Fitness Boxing 2, Rhythm and Exercise still sounds like bullshit. Uh, John, uh, yeah, John Wick Hex, Madden 21, uh, Suzerain, and Ta- Tanuki, Tanuki Sunset. December 7th, we had Dawn to Life, Two Realms. December 8th uh, was Destiny 2, Called of the Sea, Doom Eternal, Pew Pew Tetris 2. December 9th was Ghost Runner. December 10th was uh, Brigadine, The Legend of, or The Legend of Renzria. 
uh, December 10th, we also had Cyberpunk 2027. <sighs> we'll get into that too. Uh, Orwell's Animal Form. Then December 11th, we had Medal of Honor above and beyond. Panzer Dragon Remake. December 15th was Among Us, a collection of Saga, Final Fantasy Legend. December 16th was MXGP 2020. Seven, uh, December 17th was Demo Reborn. Uh, Mishutsu No Sacrifice. Neptuna Reverse. December 21st was Double Dragon Neon, which the motherfuckers look just weird. It's kind of like outboy, uh, homeboys in space mixed with double dragons, mixed with some bullshit. But uh, December twenty seconds, we had Override Two, uh, Super Mech League, and if Jennifer is watching, happy birthday! I didn't get to say that to you on my birthday, December twenty third. We had Super Meat Boy Forever and Who's Your Daddy? Perfect titles to come out on the day that I have birthed and escaped. Uh, December twenty fourth, happy birthday to Taylor. Was Earth Defense Fourth? Force World Brothers. Now, I have not played Iron Rain, and I want to get this one, so be prepared for those streams. And then December 26th was the Hong Kong Massacre. So those were the titles that came out uh, in December. If you have not purchased any of them, go fucking find them somewhere, purchase them, download them. Please keep your motherfucking ass at home. And if you do go out, wear a goddamn mask, because a lot of you monkey ass dirty mouth just dirty looking some bitches be out there coughing ah, licking in the air and shit man it's just crazy um oh john harvey said brother i love wonder woman they lost me though when uh that chick turned into the cat person to cheat it i'm gonna talk about that later because i think for those that don't know comics there's some things that they added and they changed and then people that do know comics there's a lot of easter eggs that might even flew over your head because some of them flew over mine and I watched it probably four or five times to pick up on some of that shit that I missed but I I always go back and watch because I want to give movies a fair shake but we'll get into that a little bit later uh for the news I had two articles yes two articles I wanted to hit both uh one is comics one is video games uh the first one video game xbox one uh, Xbox One game unexpectedly canceled two months before the release. Now, there's been controversy uh, about this game that it was uh, canceled for uh, kind of like uh, PC shit, and then also that they weren't ready. So we're going to go through this. This was written by, uh, this was comicbook.com, and then written by Motherfucker. That's not his name, but the deal froze. Let's go ahead and get into it. An upcoming Xbox One game has uh, been unexpectedly canceled two months before the release and in the process has raised questions about censorship on the platform. This week, developer... Ah, now it moves. It was written by Tyler Fisher. But developer... Um, NT Creates announced that the Xbox One version of its lewd game, Gal Gun Returns, has been canned for inscrutable reason. In a statement, the developers notes uh, the game's development uh, on the Xbox One is complete and the uh, the master, ROM, is complete under review. However, after discussion with Microsoft, it has decided to not just halt progress, but throw it away altogether. And it's not exactly clear why, but the developer does seemingly hint at an issue of censorship. So I'm going to scroll down to these tweets. Um, here's a tweet from their official Twitter at Gelgun underscore official announcement. The Xbox one released of Gelgun's return has been canceled. We sincerely apologize to the fans who were anticipating its release. We can uh, find more details on the game's homepage. The Nintendo switch and steam versions were released as planned. 
Um, let me go back up to the discussion. So uh, according to uh, NT Creates, it would be unable to ensure consistency of an experience across all platforms if it were to release the game on Xbox One, which is why the version is, is being canned. Again, no direct reference to censorship, but the language used, uh, uh, used in the statement certainly suggests that at the heart of the issue, censorship is a problem. So here's a statement that says, today we would like to announce that we will no longer be releasing Gal Gun's Return on the Xbox family of consoles. Uh, reads a statement, as the remaster of the original game, we wanted to strive to ensure that we stayed true to the spirit of the first entry in the Gun Gale series. And while development of the Xbox version was completely and or was complete in the Master RM under review, it became apparent after productive uh, discussions with Microsoft that they would be unable to ensure consistency of the experience across all platforms. As a result, we have decided to refocus attention on uh, to the Nintendo Switch and PC for the upcoming release of Galgun Returns. We understand the disappointment from everyone who was looking forward to playing the game on the Xbox One, and we would like to thank everyone for uh, their ongoing support. Please accept our sincere apologies uh, for the change in the planned release. We hope you uh, ex- uh, enjoy the Gun Gale experience on the other platforms. We look forward to continuing working with Microsoft on the... Um, PQ uh, releases going forward and that's all we got from them I don't see anything here from Microsoft but from what they're saying uh, that they got to see Microsoft said that uh, it was not PC enough for people to play so that's why you're not getting that on Xbox but again PC and Nintendo Switch it's coming to you next bit of news uh, Superman game and this has been one that we have been talking about for years concept being created by Japanese developer so fans have been uh, clamoring for years at this point to see anyone set up on the uh, up to the plate and try to make a modern Superman video game. And again, this comes from comicbook.com by Logan Moore. Uh, Pat's attempt, past attempts at doing so have turned out uh, poorly for the most part, leading some of the developers uh, to stay away from Superman altogether. So coming from the developer undefeated games, undefeated is a superhero video game where players can control that. uh, Yeah. Control a character that has powers, very reminiscent of Superman with the ability to fly at high speeds, destroy objects with super strength and even use laser vision. Uh, The game looks to give players the Superman experience that they have been longing for. Perhaps the coolest part is that Undefeated is also being developed within Unreal Engine 4. This means that the titles uh, <clears throat> boost destructive environment, which is especially one of the cool aspects, is going to look very Superman-like with the abilities. Now, if you go to um, patreon.com for slash Elijah Bailey show, there's a link in there, or you can just follow them at SJSIG212 James, and you can see footage of the game. Now, the game is going to look... It's it's very, very basic. The structures in the background are still green. They're not uh, textured up. There's a couple trees, but the world is flat and white. But you can see the character kind of looks like Superboy in jeans and a black shirt just hovering over very Superman-like, again, like I said, over this building. Um, but it plays you through a clip that's uh, it's not too long, but it gives you a very good feel of it. So, again, Undefeated is a game that's going to feel like Man of Steel meets Superboy. Um, and hopefully they're they're trying to turn this into a AAA title. So we might get this. We might not. Hopefully we have some luck with a Superman game because in the past that shit is horrible. Um, so before... We take a break. Let's finish up segment one. This is all video games. We're going to talk about my games of the year. Now, wait a second. Let me. Okay. 
I didn't play a lot of games. I played a lot of games I already own, and then there was a couple games titles that I bought. Now, when I wanted to do the game awards, I wanted to break this down and tell you like why I picked this game. But I'm going to talk about one, two, three, four, five games specifically because they fell in multiple categories from game of the year to best narrative best score music best audio design best performance um best indie best role playing and best couch co-op slash multiplayer and the reason i focus on these games because you've seen me stream a lot of this but you might not have heard me talk about my experiences in depth we kind of hit it in the show just a little bit so first one that i i feel like even outside of things I normally do, like uh, I said, Dragon Ball Z Kakarot's going to be up for game of the year. Cause I love anime and that's one that I started on. I'm a martial artist, uh, ghost of Shishima ties in martial arts. I like samurai, the last of us part two. I'm a huge gamer, love zombies, horror, sci-fi. So in that respective, in my gamer respective, not any ties to me. What world can I just dive into and not be like, oh, well, if I was here, you'd use this kick, you'd do this. The Last of Us Part Two took that for me out of all the games I played this year. And again, I didn't play Miles Morales Spider-Man. I haven't played Cyberpunk. I haven't played anything else but these games. And The Last of Us Part Two, uh, which, if you guys don't know, published by Sony Interactive, uh, yeah, Interactive Entertainment and then Naughty Dog. Uh, narrative character design uh and game of the year um and i don't know like in the difference between score and music and audio design i wrote this down so i could be very specific um score music is going to be for any type of phenomenal outstanding music um inclusive of the total score, original songs, and uh, licensed soundtrack used. So, like, if End of the Spider-Verse was a video game, that would, like, Miles Morales, I don't know what kind of music they have in there. I hope it's reminiscent of that, but that could would definitely win best score of music. That whole soundtrack for that film was phenomenal. If it's game version, boom. For audio design, it's just recognizing the best in-game audio and sounds collectively. Um, And I think I'd give both of those to The Last of Us Parts 2. I made a playlist on Spotify, my post-apocalypse playlist, and I love the noises because they gave you a sense of being in that world. And I found myself listening a lot to try to survive. So The Last of Us Part 2 was one of those that really immersed me. And even best... um, accessibility i could turn on features for those that are deaf so as i learned my asl i could turn on features like that uh color blindness they have so many features to help even changing the color between characters so you know who is talking saying i'm listening if i was listening to music or if i was talking to you through our tilu tuesdays there's so many options there in game out of game as the character in the gameplay with the story and narrative two dual sides I think The Last of Us Part Two really captured a lot. Now, I know a lot of people said it was real violent. They couldn't get into it. This is where all the years I did martial arts come in because I can tone that shit down because if you are in a survival moment, it doesn't fucking matter. It's You have very limited options, even less time to think about it. And with Abby and Ellie's journey, uh, the clickers and actual people, it's when you're on that path 
and you have to survive. That's what you stay on because you don't know how other people are going to interact. And I never felt like there was needless death. Again, it's a video game too. You can go in and kill as many people as you want, but fuck it. This was my game of the year. So The Last of Us Part Two really tied in parts from the first game. I got feels, uh, spoilers for anybody as Joel... One, two, three, four, five. Here we go into Last of Us Part Two. As Joel died and Ellie was there trying to fight us, like, dude, if you don't kill her, that'd be the last thing I would do to track you down and kill you. And then Abby's story about how she did that to lead to Joel's death. It's just phenomenal. The way they did it, the way that they ended it was was nice. I like the fact that they used Ellie's immunity to the to the virus to spur her forward. So Last of Us Part Two, that's one of the five that is my top tier game next uh one is dragon ball z kakarot now dragon ball z kakarot was a game that when it came out i didn't know how it was going to do i didn't know if it was going to be really clunky or if it was actually going to showcase and tell the story of goku and I was like, what are they going to do with Kakarot? Is it going to be something new? Is it just going to be a retelling? I was like, if it's a retelling, is it going to be lame? And they go from the beginning of Dragon Ball Z all the way through the end. And even with the DLC now, months later, um, it's just crazy. The fact that they tied so much in, they gave you history that wasn't there before. They worked closely with Toei and Akira and his predecessor to bring all the mythology back. And they're tying in the current Dragon Ball Super Saga. And also there was a patch update just the other day to improve mechanics and tie into what inevitably is coming. Which is the end of the moral arc for the manga, but also um, Broly and that saga after uh, Goku. and Or I guess uh, the... Turn, survival tournament but it may be Broly as well they've been adding some extras um, but the way that they captured my nostalgia my imagination and I was like oh shit that's why there's beast people on this planet that's why there's this on this planet up oh, duh if Bulma and her company create anything there's other companies that aren't far behind them that can create anything so this world is even richer than what we thought um the traversing from riding the car, riding the Nimbus, using the mercenary towel pole to running, um, even side missions and battle and being able to use support characters in a way and lock on to individuals and take on a hundred opponents at once. It, it, it did the job. It really did the job of being a great RPG for not only Dragon Ball Z fans, but those who were new because you would understand that character's journey and even, oh, okay. I don't have to watch a show. That's Dragon Ball Z. I like it. I don't like it. However you feel about it, it is it it has multiple fronts to where it can benefit anybody. And I feel like the way that Bandai did it and the sales that they got from this release and how it sets up another title, which is hopefully Dragon Ball Z Vegeta the Fourth. I mean, it has the ability to continue the franchise if they need to, but they did it in a in a way that is different than any other Dragon Ball Z game that they've done. Um and I love it. I love it. Number three, Ghost of Tsushima. Uh, I still haven't even beat Ghost of Tsushima. There's so much to this story, and I've put in over 70 hours. Uh, I'm, a, I'm and I've I've played many, many versions. But from the customization to the Legends mode, where they give you a whole new skill set and weapons layout, to where you have to learn that and play as a team and a unit, and go back to a story where it's a single player. It's, it's reminiscent of Call of Duty. That's all you do in Call of Duty, but the skills, 
uh, trying to figure out what path, like there's a journey where I'm just going pure samurai, so doing all the duels, uh, everything's up front, everything's honest, not using as the little ghost tactics as I can. Then there's like, you're just tradi- you're just a ghost. You're just going through, you're doing what you have to do. Then you're teetering that line. There's so many aspects of this game that you can play. And I think the narrative with each one of the characters and how their story continues, it's not just like I help this person and we're done. This is part one of nine. This is part two of three or whatever. I think it lends to a richer, richer story. And then just the background, the environment, going from each location in Shishima and liberating each uh, area, talking to the people, feeling an invasion and oppressed. And as you go through it, feel that liberation come up and the people have hope again. I think it did a dynamic job. The uh, sounds in-game from the birds to the foxes, petting the foxes, the waves, the duels, the flames, when you have the tiki torches or towns on fire. It is a very, very good game. If I had to rate these, and again, like I said, The Last of Us Part Two, one game of the year for me, Ghost of Tsushima, just as a video game itself, would probably be my number two. Dragon Ball Z would be my number three because the mechanics are very simple and easy to control, so it doesn't do anything new in that respective, but it does do something new in the franchise of Dragon Ball, if I had to list these. So not out of a scale of 1 to 10, just Last of Us, Ghost of Tsushima, Dragon Ball. Um, and then I want to hit on One Piece Pirate Warriors 4, another uh, Dynasty Warrior territory base capture RPG that follows the story of One Piece. But this time, just like Dragon Ball Z Kakarot, they changed it up and they made it more inclusive with where they started with the characters, which ones they remove, which one they add. And again, it's keeping up with the saga now, the the manga and the anime that's out. And again, the DLC continues months after the release. That's one thing that I look for, for for these type of games. It's a simple version. You go in, capture the territory, or do the objective as fast as you can. You get all S's or you get ranks, you get your coins, you level up people. Very, very simple. But the way that they reinvented to recapture because it's easy like I fell off of Dynasty Warriors but I jumped on Gundam Dynasty Warriors then fell off that then One Piece Pirate Wars I haven't fallen off since I jumped on I think that's because of the characters the world building that they do in the story and then how they make you effortlessly want to complete everything and get a hundred. It was super easy for me to platinum that with no problem, not chasing it just like I did Spider-Man in the past. And I told you guys how easy that was. So that's why one piece comes up on my top five. And last but not least fall guys, uh, multiplayer couch co-op. It was a game that we love to hate. And I feel like they did a great job with making it like just so fucking dumb and easy and hard at the same time to where Again, effortlessly, hours can go by. Multiple gameplays, multiple challenges go by. And I feel like for a couch co-op, that's something that you need. Because going back and forth or playing with people, you get frustrated a lot. But if you can keep it up-tempo, upbeat, change costumes, this and that, I think it it worked really well. But it was short-lived. That's fine. I love it. So those are my top five for 2020 that I played the most. Thank you guys for that. And let's take a brief pause for the cause, a little break, and I'll be back to talk Wonder Woman 1984. We'll be right back. (laughs) 
Hey folks, this is Elijah 5000. And Monica Robinson. And we're your host of A Little Bit of Anime. Your number one stopping spot for all the latest anime's news and reviews. If you want to join in all the fun and anime goodness, then make sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts and Podbean. And please join us every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. on Twitch at twitch.tv forward slash Elijah underscore 5000. And remember, please brighten your day with with a a little little bit of anime. anime. Hey everybody, this is Reverend Shaw. I'm Delisa. And I'm like father. Like daughter. And we just gonna hang out with you. We just gonna kind of talk about father-daughter relationships. The good, the bad, the ugly. When we like each other, when we don't like each other. And I hope Delisa don't clam up on me. Because that could be possible. (laughs) We just want you to check us out, man. I promise you, you won't be disappointed. You won't be let down. And we'll leave you with something that you can chew on and make your life that much better. Find Like Father, Like Daughter on Apple Podcasts, Podbeam, Spotify, or BlackOfStudios.com. New shows drop every Saturday. All right, and we are back. Thank you guys for joining us. T-Pain, like, to keep him on retainer, all it costs is you sharing this episode with your friends for free. And he stays on retainer. Uh, but let's get into Taiyosei, the character that we're honoring today. I wanted to go into video games because last time was anime, and this man right here has done it all. Marcus Holloway uh, from Watchdog. Now, I have a couple pictures of him and the uh, voice actor, but let's go ahead and pull up everything. As you can see in the corner, that is the video game Watchdogs. And let's pull up Mr. Ruffin. Uh, Ruffin, I think it's Prin- Prentice, I think is his name. But he plays a character that shows up right above him, Marcus Holloway, from Watch Dogs 2. <clears throat> so, again, Watch Dogs 2, if you never played, made Ubisoft Montreal uh, by Ubisoft. Marcus Holloway is the main protagonist of Watch Dogs. Now, when I was looking up the character, I don't find this when I, when I search for white characters. If I looked for Nathan Drake, it would never say this. If I looked for Nico Bellic, it would not say this. It would just tell what he does in the game and why he does it. That's what it would say. And I know I know why, because I researched that shit, but it says Marcus Holloway. And this is the reason why we address black characters, and we talk about them in the show, is the main protagonist of Watch Dogs 2 and is a playable character. He can be considered a, uh, as a villain when he commits crimes such as murder, robbing, and carjacking. Now, we don't need to list that as a description. Anybody that does that will be a murderer. But in games where, let's say, if you haven't played Watch Dogs, the government is controlling everything by hacking and having access to the CT, uh, C, what is it, the CTOS system. And then in that version of Watch Dogs 2, I think it's a CTOS.2. So it's an upgrade. But they can hack your phones. They can do whatever. Now, these group of hackers can get inside that network and use it to escape or whatever. Now, they didn't say this about Aiden Pierce, who was the very first character and is a reoccurring character in Watch Dogs Legion, that he may be a villain if he does these things. It's Aiden Pierce's spoilers, if you haven't played. Nice was killed, and he got revenge on the people, which turned out to be the company that created the CTOS system. And so he meets somebody on the inside that kind of got kicked and they overtake the whole deal his was redemption marcus holloway uh if you haven't played watchdogs 2 uh he 
basically was a hacker that was asked to join DedSec for his skills, and he'd been doing it beforehand to liberate the people. It started Aiden Pierce's... uh, revolution is what it really started Aiden Pierce's revenge started a revolution um, but like I said Ruffin Apprentice uh, is the name of the voice actor the voice is Marcus Holloway and again Watch Dogs 2 is an action adventure game and stealth elements and played from the third person perspective of Marcus Holloway a young hacker the game features an open world set in a fictional version of San Francisco Bay Area which is phenomenal because it is twice as large as the city of Chicago which Aiden Pierce was uh trying to get revenge for his his uh, niece and so you join DedSec and you go around san francisco uh oakland uh and silicon valley and there's one other place you go around but marcus holloway is that character that when they invite him to the group very sharp very smart figuring out um different problems in a more unique way and then also trying to build up what has now become Watch Dogs Legion, that community, that environment with DedSec reaching out to the people. So it was it was a cool game. There was a lot to it. It was a lot longer than what I thought. So that is your character uh, for this episode, Marcus Holloway from Watch Dogs 2. Now, Watch Dogs Legion is out, and as much as I love Watch Dogs, I have not played it yet, but I will get on it. So let's dive into Wonder Woman 1984. Now, Wonder Woman 1984 dropped on... Um, Christmas Day. And I was kind of confused because they said at midnight before and then it was 12 afternoon. So you had to Eastern time. So you had to wait. But uh, the official synopsis for the film is Diana Prince lives quietly among mortals in the vibrant, sleek 1980s, an era of excess driven by the pursuit of having it all. Though she comes into her full power, she maintains a low profile by curating uh, ancient artifacts and only performing heroic acts incognito. But soon Diana will have to muster all her strength, wisdom, and courage as she finds herself squaring off against Maxwell Lord and the Cheetah, a villainess who possesses superhuman strength and agility. So we know that the fabulous Patty Jenkins directed the first one, the second one, and... We'll talk about some of the other shit in a minute. Uh, I talked with Buck about her doing the fighter pilot for Star Wars. She just got signed on for that. But directed by Patty Jenkins, the story was written by both Patty Jenkins and Jeff Johns. They added Dave uh, Callahan to the screenplay. And it was produced by Patty Jenkins, Jeff Johns, Zack Snyder, Gal Gadot, uh, Deborah Snyder, Charles Roven, and uh, Stephen Jones. And the character was based on the works of the original creator, William Marston. Now, when we go into Wonder Woman... I think one of the things that was, uh, that's not the picture I want, hard for people was, I don't, I don't know, There, there's a lot of things that are like the stone doesn't work and this doesn't work. Wonder Woman is steeped in comic mythology, Greek mythology, and then her own dual mythos. In this version of Wonder Woman, she is a demigod. So... You have to suspend your disbelief on everything. It can't be like, oh, well, they're using this magic stone. Well, again, uh, we'll talk about what this was an Easter egg, but the stone is almost reminiscent of Loki, which we find in Marvel Comics, who causes mischief. And we'll talk about the Dukes of, the Duke of Deception, or is it Destruction? Fuck, I always get that mixed up. But we'll talk about why this ties in, why this plays, and where misconceptions could have happened. But Wonder Woman... 
is, a, is also Princess Diana, as we know, the daughter of Hippolyta, queen of the Amazons, and Zeus, the mightiest of the gods of Olympus. Diana volunteered to leave behind her home of the Mascara and champion the Amazons' message of peace, fighting for justice and equality in man's world. She is a founding member of the Justice League. So when when we talk about what Diana does in the film and how, like, we don't spend that much time in the eighties. You get to see the clothes, you get to see new things to Steve Trevor and new things to Diana that she's learned over the years, but it's not an eighties heavy film. And when we talk about what she does and why this film isn't as gritty as the other DC films, it's because the Amazon message of peace, fighting for justice and equality in man's world. Now the, the first thing that I saw very first big, uh, opening of the film was the, the foliage the land and the music. Now I first, and this is, this is me. I think this is reminiscent of culture. I got the feeling that this was like coming to America. It had the, the music playing. You saw the landscapes like this place is very vibrant. This place is alive. This place is royalty. If you will, this place has meaning demeanor. And then you see this girl and she's on this journey and that's very reminiscent. You see Hakeem, you know, training, after the bath, but kind of had that opening. But then it also reminded me of Dick Donner, Superman one and two, how it just opens up. And it's like, this is Superman's world. And those films were not like, Oh, Superman, I'm going to kill everybody. And Lex Luthor's going around shooting people. It was light. There was something that Superman had to do. And I held onto those Superman films for a while. Cause Brandon, I love him. He's a great actor. I love him as Adam, but his film didn't really feel like there were stakes. It was more like, a father son deal or just like Superman has been gone for a long time. Now he's back and he's a little rusty. I'm I'm kind of laughing because my wife let the dogs out and it's raining. So she's like, in, in, in. so sorry. Um, but I gave wonder woman 84, like a seven, seven and a half out of 10 for, for everything. Now let's start dissecting these layers. Um, let's go. To, to Easter eggs. I think that'll help as I tie into everything else. Now, here's a couple things that you guys might not have noticed in the film that help things tie in. Like, we saw a... We saw snippets of Diana's history. Like, what happened from Wonder Woman 1 to 2 because it had been over 70 years, Diana's history. You see the black and white pictures. You see uh, fucking Etta Candy. They're standing as she's older. Everybody has passed on. First, her love, Steve, while you know, their, their encounter was brief. He died. Then the rest of their team, then Etta, who I'm sure they became very, very close after Steve passed. And then you see there's a Trevor's ranch that she's standing in honor, most likely his family, or it's something that she put together. And she holds on to Steve Trevor's watch to remember him because that's her one love. Now I saw somebody say that it doesn't make sense. Diana's a strong enough person and a superhero that she shouldn't be attached to just one person. But there's themes to Patty Jenkins films. The first one was fish out of water, finding courage, the courage to stand up for what she thinks is right against her mom, who has always been the ruler and her word is law. Then standing up for, you know, the people that she thought she needed to stand up for in the world and right the wrong, then standing up for herself because she believed like this sword was what was going to save the world. But she, found out that she was the weapon. She found her purpose. So I'd say purpose and courage come from the fish out of water tale. For this one, it's truth. And you hear her talk about the last of truth. You hear, um, and, and 
again, try not to spoil. So as I got into this, sorry, I didn't give you guys a countdown, but you knew that I was going to review this. Uh, as you talk about um, the opening scenes and the the champions, the events, they, they say, this is not your truth. This is not your time. And it's everything there is just so telling. The gold statue, which has multiple ties in DC continuity and Wonder Woman is also representative of the lasso of truth. They were there to be honored or to win that honor of kinship in front of that gold, which she ends up holding not only the Amazonian Amazonian armor, the lasso of truth, but she represents the Amazon. She represents the gods now in man's world. So I think if we take a minute and think of the themes this film had a theme of truth because you have Maxwell Lord who in the comics could manipulate people and make them do whatever he wanted. But this time we're using the dream stone or a stone that's been in DC continuity since the 1960s. Uh, another uh, Greek mythology type mischievous stone. If you ask for a wish, something's going to happen. And Steve Trevor makes note of that. The monkey's paw, your wish is not going to come out the same way. So the stone the wishes, the desires, and also this this world of excess, these all tie into that theme of what essentially Diana does at the end is I renounce what my true desire was because the truth is in this world of excess, this is not this is not healthy. This is not what I need. This is just what I want. I think that's what I'm trying to say. Um, some people had an issue with Diana working at the Smithsonian. And this ties into, like, she met Steve Trevor. She found her courage. She found somebody she loved. He died. Everybody else has died. So she's still kind of stuck in that place because he made her trust her when he came upon the island. And it was different than what she had heard. She was interested in man. And then they built this relationship that was fostered on the respect of each other. More so than just attraction because Diana was pretty much mind-fucking him the whole time. And then the Smithsonian job is just something that she did in the comics. I, I, it's better than her being a secretary and having to go back and forth. She works at the Smithsonian. She's been alive. Why wouldn't she? She comes from Greek mythology. So her knowledge of mythology, her knowledge of artifacts would land her that job. That's believable. Her not falling in love with somebody else because of, you know, her, just like a teenage girl, her very first love man love, because they did make mention that, you know, the Amazonians practice, most commonly because I think it's just one time a year they go to man's world or they capture man and then fuck them that's why they have other Amazonians and of all different kind of ethnicities and races but most commonly practice on the items just like the Spartans they fuck each other so I, I didn't see a problem with that I can understand why Diana held that part of her heart and she hasn't dated anybody else and she's a god or half god they don't need the same requirements as humans so again Suspend your disbelief. Fucking comic book character and demigod. I don't give a fuck if she's fucking anybody every week. I want to see her fight. That's what Wonder Woman does. And I think they downplay that because she's been a woman. They've been doing a great job in the animated series. But now we're seeing her you know, handle the jobs where it's like, where are all these men superheroes at? They're not here because Diana is. Uh, one of the things that they added, which Alistair is actually Gal Gadot's son, who came in, Max... Uh, Max Lord doesn't have a son in the comics, but he played another part of the honesty and the truth and leading Max Lord away from his obsession. Now, if we talk about Max Lord, you see him as a con man. He's a TV personality. But in the comics, this motherfucker was cold. He got tied up by the last of truth. 
And Wonder Woman was like, uh, well, let me backtrack. He fucked everybody. He got to the point to where Lex Luthor or Luther from the future came back, gave him Batman's um, space station. He created this AI, fucked all the superheroes up and hunted metas and got Superman under his control because his power in the comics is my manipulation. Wonder Woman uh, slits or no Superman punches Wonder Woman from the sun all the way to the earth. She gets pissed off after fighting for you know, a long time, slits his throat with the tiara, captures Max Lord and holds him and tells him to reverse it. And this motherfucker said, no, even if I do reverse, I'm just going to do it again. I'm going to kill everybody. Next time I'm going to make him kill Batman and kill you. And it's like, dude, this motherfucker's telling you the absolute truth. Cause you have the lasso of truth on him and he don't give a fuck. That is a bad motherfucker. That's a good character. In the film, they changed him to being a con man to give him more morality. And they kind of mix the earlier version of Maxwell Lord with the later version, the more evil version of Maxwell Lord. He's more driven by his desires of being a big person, a better man, because he has failed at everything in his life so far. Also, Simon Stagg, which was his first fuck over after he absolved the Dreamstone, uh, is actually a character from DC history. And he actually works pretty closely with Maxwell Lord. Um, but he's not like a real big character. So don't have to worry about that. Now the Dreamstone, I said, it's been around DC comics since the sixties. Um, it's typically like the infinite Tsukiyomi from anime or like, uh, was it dream dream, the endless or the endless state of, dreaming dream of the endless it's some, it's some shit like that and then it's usually associated with uh dr destiny so it has ties into the story now people couldn't really like that's your wish you wish this the main deal with the wish we all know steve trevor came back in somebody's body right the only other show that i've seen this in is quantum leap if you guys remember that it was like right after mash and like just a couple hours after Toxic Avengers and shit, but he used to jump into people's bodies, solve crimes, and then go to the next one. In this version of Wonder Woman, Steve Trevor took over the consciousness of the guy, and he didn't remember anything at the end of it, which plays to the theme of truth. Because Diana says, all I can see is you. That's her truth. She had one wish, and she didn't know upon the stone that she was wishing, but she was like, I wish my love would be back. I, I miss him. That's the one thing that I'm missing he comes back that was her true desire but it's not the true truth of what she needs to be who she is and that is what this film is building truth lies in where you need to be when you need to be it and it's the same thing that Hippolyta said at the very beginning so people didn't know why Steve Trevor had to take over this guy's body again Greek mythology the stone is going to fuck you over no matter what your wish is so yes Steve is back but he's in somebody else's body that would fuck up somebody's wish Diana being a demigod maybe she can just see past his appearance to his soul nobody fucking knows but it's not anything to have concern about except for the part where she raped this guy but Steve was in control and he gave consent I it's still kind of weird I don't know I don't give a fuck because Steve helped her be who she needed to be, help her find her way. So, yeah, that's weird. Stone plays. Why didn't he get his own body? Greek mythology. Fuck it. I don't know. Comic books, Greek mythology. Uh, the invisible jet shit. She talked about Zeus 
cast this spell on the island and her being of him, uh, his daughter, half daughter, she can do the same thing. And I feel like this was so cool to, to make an invisible jet, but it's like, she doesn't like, why does she need this invisible jet? And they address two problems at the same time. She needs it because she doesn't understand flying. The mascara, they didn't have it. It's running, it's horses, it's jumping. She used the lasso to lash on the fucking clouds, lightning to whatever the fuck. She fucking whips that shit in the air and fucking thors it. But he tells her it's easy. It's just this, this, and this. He explains it in a way that she starts to understand it because she's enamored with Steve, but the things that she missed about him are the things that she wants to hold on. So I think she's taking better note of him because if you watch Diane and Steve, she looks at him longingly a lot throughout this film in passing or when things are going on. And that's something that ties into this stone. Her desires met and she doesn't know when this is going to end. But I think it's cool they made the fucking invisible jet. And not only that, but I think Max uh, Maxwell Lord mentions uh, Belaya, which is uh, this place. I think it was like a Justice League reboot. It's an Egyptian place that actually hit DC continuity in the 80s. But they pull so much shit from where this stone comes from, the Dreamstone itself there was something that everybody missed because I had the caption on it and I didn't even get it just because gal's accent is kind of thick, but the Duke of deception, when they were looking through the ancient text, um, he gets tossed around a lot. The Duke, you know, kind of works with Ares and another God against Diana. So it ties in that the mischief of the Dreamstone is associated with the Duke of deception. And she, again, coming from Greek mythology, the first time that she heard about this evil in the world or the the sword broken Wonder Woman one, she got scared and she didn't know what to do. So I think more things that come up from her history or mythology that she doesn't know how to address, they they play to her humanity. She's a little bit scared. She's a little bit nervous. But Steve gives her the courage to take on Ares. Steve gives her the courage to take on giving him up and living her life without him. You know, and it's been 70 years. It's a long fucking time. Dracula, if you guys haven't watched it on Netflix, he was, he's, that was, that was something different. Um, and then the last thing that you guys didn't, I, I love the Linda Carter shout out at the end of the show, the end of the film. And she was Estria, but Estria does not exist in DC continuity. They only did that because they wanted to explain the gold armor. And if you haven't, um, Red Wonder Woman, then you don't know that this armor was actually made for her by her fellow Amazons um, in the 90s in the uh, the uh, Kingdom Come storyline. And we talked about Kingdom Come because that's, that's a great one to learn about a lot of our comic heroes and their origins. So they tied Asteria in there to give her some tie to humanity and that I feel like it was like a just nice way to round it up because it was a happy film. Like she gave herself in the armor to save the Amazons and everybody thought she was dead. All Diana felt was her ar- found was her armor. And then you find out she's alive and it's like, Oh, that's the old Wonder Woman. I remember the show. So they have a lot of callbacks, um, a lot of themes that they tie into it, but everything does essentially revolve around truth and find that truth. So Diana finds the truth of love. Maxwell Lord is obsessed with being, <sighs> just seen as somebody bigger than what he feels like he is. And then he learns that the only thing that he ever needs is his son, Alistair. And Alistair also provides a deal. The truth is the things that he was trying to get for his son, the kids don't care. Love, 
I don't even say love, but I don't know how, because I don't think Diana's story was about love. I think Maxwell Lords was just like, he needs to uh, trust in his son and trust himself. He said a couple of things before he met with Simon Stagg. He said a couple of things when he, whenever he saw his son, that's like, I genuinely love my son. I will do anything for you. And that obsession was what drove him crazy. But the truth is, I love you. I trust you. You're my son. And he said, I don't need anything, daddy, just you. Heartwarming moment. Yes. Got him to renounce his wish and everybody else. So Diana talks to the world through the lasso of truth, through the lasso being attached to Maxwell Lord. It's phenomenal. And even then she had him and he's like, no, I'm doing this again. A bad motherfucking villain just telling her what he's going to do. I love it. Uh, Cheetah. I don't know if it has to do with people's TVs. I feel like everybody's been buying 4K TVs and shit, so Cheetah should have looked better. Um, I think the fur was a little long on the legs, and I don't know. I don't know why that fight scene was so dark. It really could have been brighter because the whole film was. Um, But I think that was she made the wish that she wanted what Diana had. So Diana wished for Steve but there's something that she could give up Maxwell. And this is before Maxwell Lord. Um, Cheetah wished to be Diana, be beautiful, sexy, have her strength. So she pulled from Diana and needed to give something up. And that's how the stone kind of worked. Cause every time that Maxwell Lord used it, whatever wish he granted, he needed more wishes to keep him alive and not, not die or keep him healthy. So he took people's health. He took their youth. He took this, in place and it kind of ran around like that that's why when we get to the end of the film it's like what happened to cheetah none of them died maxwell lord's going to jail cheetah's going to jail but this leads to cheetah trying to find a serum or a remedy to become cheetah again um i don't know why apex predator was used i don't think of cheetahs when i hear apex predators but again dc continuity whatever gave her the tail gave her the claw she put up a great fight and she had been siphoning off diana's strength um And I feel like Cheetah in the comics is able to be on par with Diana. So it's not that hard to believe that the strength, the sapping, all that shit transferred over. Uh, Again, I give it a seven, seven and a seven and a half out of ten. It was a good film. Go ahead and watch it. Watch it, you know, another time, one time, two times, three times. I don't know. But I feel like you will pick up on new things each time that you watch it. And every time that I have, I feel like it's still a solid story. There's not a scene that I was like, they need to cut that. It doesn't need to be in there. It's two hours and 32 minutes. I didn't even feel that. It went quickly every time. And it's not like, oh, I'm a huge Wonder Woman fan. I feel like the things that they did were things that we haven't seen in films, especially like a female-led film. So Wonder Woman, um, I think opening scene they had all again like i said all these different diverse cultures all these different women they were competing in games cheering on one another and you see that when she the, the little black girl with the glasses she's like Shh, and then she winks at her tie-ins to old classic dc films but also every time you see wonder woman both an, uh animated versions she's been addressing a girl the first film she addressed uh, she got ice cream she loved it she addressed another girl uh so i I feel Diana's more of the people when we talk about DC Comics. Judge it for yourself. Watch the film. Again, it's made $85 million, and they've already gaslit not only 
uh, Wonder Woman 3, but Wonder Woman 4, I think that is detrimental to Warner Brothers' health. Patty Jenkins said she didn't know if she wanted to do a third one after the release on HBO Max, but they've made $85 million so far, so she's game. And I feel like she said she had at least four more Wonder Woman stories to tell. So if she can do that, and again, Wonder Woman is not tied into anything. She makes an appearance in Justice League, but Patty Jenkins is setting up uh, systematically individual uh, films for Wonder Woman throughout the ages. And I feel like we're going to get the the leather pants Wonder Woman, we're gonna get the jacket. I feel like we're going to get a lot of different versions of Wonder Woman leading us through themes throughout each film. Now, every, the film should always have themes, I feel like. But if they don't, sometimes they don't. Sometimes it's just the filmmaker's love for the film. But really think about the Greek mythology and DC continuity when you think about Wonder Woman, because it's going to tie into some of those themes. Uh, with that being said, let's take our last pause for the cause, and then we'll come back. I'll give you anime and manga of the month, and we'll wrap up today's show. I'll be right back. Hey, this is Jamie Lindbergh, host of Upbeat Urbanism, a podcast where we seek to have an open dialogue about what it takes to create healthy, intentional, sustainable communities, one conversation at a time. Each episode is an interview with a city planner, leader, developer, real estate professional, or community builder. To listen, search for Upbeat Urbanism wherever you find podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at UUrbanism and on Facebook at Upbeat Urbanism. Devote yourself to your community around you and devote yourself to creating something that gives you purpose and meaning. Until then, keep it upbeat. Hey, this is your boy Frog. I'm here with Chris, Justin, and Philip, and we host Turn On The Game, the podcast. The show consists of four men commentating on the sports world. It's strictly opinion shows as if you were sitting on the couch watching a game with your boys. And you can follow us on Twitter at TurnOnThe underscore game. You can hit us up on our Facebook page at TurnOnTheGame. And you can even follow us on Instagram at TurnOnTheGame. Or you can listen to us on Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher by searching TurnOnTheGame. You can email us at TurnOnTheGame, the number four at gmail.com. TurnOnTheGame is sponsored by Blackened Studios, Oklahoma City's premier podcasting studio. Turn on. We have Anime of the Month, Black Bullet. Now, this is one that... Hang on, I might need to turn this down. These motherfuckers talk too much. Actually, copyrights. Turn that shit off. Okay, so uh, Black Bullet, you can find on Crunchyroll or VRV. In the year 2021, Mankind was defeated by Gasteria, and so now you have the Cursed Children... Uh, who can only be female, but they are uh, infected with a Gasteria virus and they get special abilities. They pi- they partner them with uh, a promoter. So you have an uh, initiator and a promoter that work together to go around and fight against Gasteria. This is Black Bullet. Check it out. Very funny. A lot of action. Very, very, very stylistic with as far as color protrusion, like people's hair, their eyes, the clothes, even like ties on the hair. It's uh, it's a thing. Like I don't know how else to put it. Like Black Bullet is one of those shows. It's like if you're watching it, you love it. If you're not watching it, you don't love it. Uh, I forgot I left the Wonder Woman uh, picture up, and I didn't put up Maxwell Lord, who is played by uh, Pedro Pascal, who is the Mandalorian. Fucking two phenomenal characters he played, and then we also have Wonder Woman versus Cheetah. 
Uh, you have two deals here. Now, we haven't got this. Well, we kind of have this, Diana. You know, the the gauntlets and shit is gold instead of silver, but that's what you get. Watch the film. All right, manga of the month. Let's turn this music on and see how this goes. There we go. This one's a little bit etchy. All right, there we go. That's enough of that. I just don't want to get hit with the copyright bullshit. So, to love Rue, uh, Rito had no idea that the planet Devaluka even existed when the princess Lala teleported into his bathtub, but now he finds himself to be engaged to the beautiful girl with the pointed tail. Problems uh, that arise. Various aliens are showing up on the missions to annihilate him, and worse, the girl that Rito really likes is completely unaware of his feelings. This fucking etchy comedy is a great read or a great watch. You can do that at had to make sure I turn that shit off. You can do that just by clicking on the links um, or just go to fucking Google and type in To Love Rue. It'll take you to places where you can read it. Viz Media is always where I go. It's $1.99 a month. Unlimited manga all the time. But thank you guys for joining me. This has been episode 245. I'm Elijah 5000. We talked about Wonder Woman 84. It's not as bad as you think. Do some research. If you're just looking for shit to hate because 2020 sucks, love this. Uh, Soul is out. Fucking The Mandalorian Season 2. They're coming out with Season 3. All the shit that we talked about that they're releasing from Boba Fett to Ahsoka Tano to Ben Kenobi. All the shit's coming out. Just just wait for it. Just have faith. Wait for it. Wonder Woman 84. You have your video game news. What games did you love this year in 2020? What games did you play? Uh, did you like my review, my breakdown? Do you disagree or agree if we played some of the same games? And then let me know what you think about Wonder Woman. Uh I'll listen, but I don't give a fuck. I already got my opinion. But I'm Elijah 5000. I will catch your ass in the next podcast. Make sure to follow on Spotify, uh, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Podbeam. Send your emails to ElijahBaileyShow at gmail.com. Black and Studios on all social media and Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram at Elijah Bailey Show. Cut off the W. That's S-H-O. I'll catch your ass in the next podcast. What's up, everybody? Elijah 5000 here. Me and the Buckety appreciate it so much that you download this show each and every week. Again, we drop every Thursday. If you're new to the Elijah Bailey Show, go to Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or Spotify, or wherever you listen to this auditorial pleasure that you get weekly, and just subscribe, rate, and review. Thank you, and I'll catch your ass in the next podcast.